and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, and along with my good friend Reese, we will be reacting to a Chiefs win against the Las Vegas Raiders, a 35-31 win against the Raiders to put us at 9-1, a pretty comfortable lead now against Las Vegas in the AFC, uh, sorry, AFC West. Um, going into the game, if Vegas would have won, then they would have had the uh, tiebreaker going into the AFC West, which like didn't from the beginning didn't seem scary. But if they would have won that game, this could have been like a hairy like week 16 going into the playoffs. I mean, it really would have. And, you know, the irony to it as well was the fact that I think like their city betrayed them and cashed out all Chiefs bets to win the AFC West like a month ago, didn't they? So could you? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a real thing. You know, Vegas uh, paid out all those bets because the Chiefs look so dominant. And, you know, the Raiders had lost two of three at that point. But man, would they not had egg on their face? Had the Raiders somehow pulled within a game and had the tiebreaker on the Chiefs at this point? <laughs> Gruden's like, take that, Bellagio. Take that. <laughs> Bellagio, man, more like Bologna. <laughs> I love these guys. <laughs> take take a take a victory lap. Come on. Come on, guys. Let's take a victory lap around the Bellagio. <laughs> Speaking about a victory lap, we should have taken one on Sunday night because what a game that was, Reese. I mean, you and I were going back and forth. My heart was racing. It was like the Super Bowl, honestly. It, it was just so it shouldn't have felt like the Super Bowl, but it really just my emotions were so hot. How about you, Reese? Oh, man. Noelle was so worried about me. She's like, you're being awfully quiet over there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very focused on this game. She's like, well, usually when games aren't going well you get very angry and I'm like yeah well this one's not worth anger this one's just putting me at like an equilibrium on either side (laughs) and man I tell you what when Kelsey got that last go ahead touchdown I like stood up and clapped and it just felt like unleashing all of my all of my frustrations yeah I mean we why don't we go just right into that touchdown and we can talk about the fourth quarter as well but like it shouldn't have gone to the point where we had to have some Mahomes magic for that Kelsey touchdown because what a great um fake run that he did to then get uh jonathan abram to come up close which then made kelsey just wide open but what like a great play such a scary moment for us because i was like is Mahomes gonna run it because if he does there's like three people on him and we had we had to score on that play uh and then obviously the the uh, camera pans at kelsey and everything's okay but man what a finish yeah, the Raiders were doing a pretty decent job of keeping a spy on Mahomes to not let him roll out. And you saw it a lot of times in the fourth quarter. It's like he does that thing where he wants to roll out and pump fake and then keep rolling. And like he pump faked it a few times, but nobody was biting for it. So he had to force a throw. But like, you know, he found a way to make it happen. So I'm happy for him. It was a it was a solid effort by the Raiders. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's get into the fourth quarter then. Um, and there's so much to get into the, with, with this game, but let's focus because the fourth quarter is kind of where all the magic kind of happened for both teams. So going into the fourth quarter, it was it was 21-17 Chiefs. And the first drive went to Derek Carr. And then what happens? A boneheaded play by our defense to leave Darren Waller open for a three-yard touchdown to start the fourth. Reese, how upset were you when you saw that blown coverage? Oh my gosh. I was saying this all game. It never felt like we put somebody on Waller. Like I don't care what coverage was. We didn't have somebody tailing him. We had people reacting to him. And on, on this play, there straight up wasn't even anybody in his area code. He was able to like walk back there and say, hey, I'm wide open. You know, they showed it in that replay too. Derek Carr celebrated as soon as he threw the ball. He was that wide open. <laughs> uh, what did you What did you think? 
Yeah, I was so upset because that whole game, it's not like Darren Waller is this third string tight end. He is their number one option in the offense because John Gruden, as I was saying to you via text, John Gruden is an old school pounded to you, throwing, throwing it to the tight end. So it really pissed me off that the one guy that we knew was going to be a target in the end zone was wide open. So what happened on that play is it looked like he was blocking and then he slanted to the left. But even so, you have to have at least one person on him, even if you are switching coverage or there had to at least be a spy on him because Derek Carr is not going to run the football. And at that point, you knew he wasn't going to pass to Josh Jacobs. So obviously... I'm as someone that was just in my the comfort of my bed, knowing where is Waller, where is Waller, why am I on my bed saying where is Waller, and why is not, I mean, why isn't Rashad Fenton saying that, why isn't Traverius Ward saying that, why isn't HB saying that, why isn't Dirty Dan saying that, it didn't look like they were doing a trick play, it literally was just a slant to Darren Waller. So that was really upsetting. I don't know what happened on that play. On that same play, that's where we saw Chris Jones get into Legereus Sneed's face on the um, on the sideline. Did you hear anything else about that, Reese? Nobody seems to know what that's about yet. You know, it looked like he was getting in his face, probably about the blown coverage. That's unlike Chris Jones to yell at players. So I hope it was a fire up thing. I've heard speculation he was kind of, you know, pulling Sneed and somebody else apart, not from a physical altercation, but kind of getting them off each other's throats and saying, hey, we got to make one more stop. You know, Pat's going to win this. But, you know, if he was getting on Sneed for blowing that coverage, he is a rookie. And he just came back off of injury, and he blew a plate. Chris Jones, what was your excuse for being silent the whole game, man? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we can get into that as well. Zero sacks on Derek Carr. Zero Unacceptable, not only zero sacks, but it didn't look like we were getting pressure at all on Derek. Uh, I think I saw a stat as well. He was holding the ball for almost an average of three seconds, and he was very successful when he had over 2.5 seconds to throw, and that was very, very often. So no, I don't even think there's any QB. There was one QB hit. Chris Jones had one pressure the entire game unacceptable and I know they have a good offensive line but not good enough against Frank Clark against Chris Jones Tano Passanio also you know is back and he's healthy there is no health concerns there as well so very unacceptable to have no QB hits on Derek Carr well part of that falls on Steve Spagnuolo's shoulders as well because he was just bringing four all game he needed to bring in some more stunts you know some more delayed blitzes to kind of get Carr off of his rhythm because man Carr was just sitting up in there playing Madden in regards to all the time he had. He could see the defense. He could audible what he wanted to. He'd drop back and wait for his second read to get open. That was the entire night. And like you said, the, the Raiders have a good, not great offensive line. They have a they have a real tanky line, it feels like. You know, they're not like made to to bully guys over. They're just made to be a big wall. And that's all they need right now. Yeah, and unfortunately it worked. And I even saw they uh, they did a replay on the first quarter where they were doubling Frank Clark and Chris Jones. Sometimes they were tripling those guys. And you would think that Spags would come up with a different scheme or maybe, um, maybe hide a blitz or maybe at least just have one guy rush to help those guys because if they're going to double, that means you have the you, – you can use the help with a Dirty Dan – uh, with a with a uh, Willie Gay with a Wilson, but it didn't seem like that was working. And then every and what sucked is that every time that they did blitz, 
Derek Carr would expose it immediately. Immediately, it seemed like. He's like, okay, you're going to blitz, great. Dink and dunk, dink and dunk, Waller. Oh, Waller can't defend, or uh, Dirty Dan can't defend Waller. There's an extra 20 that he gets. I mean, it was so, so frustrating to see. Well, for me, it was kind of like watching vintage Patriots play because every time he threw a pass over 10 yards, there was a dude with 15 yards of space around. And I'm just like, guys, how is this a thing on every play? And part of it comes back to our D-line not being able to get any pressure. And I don't want to hear people ripping on Frank Clark as much as they have been because I sh- that guy was giving effort all game. I was watching him, you know, trying to do some spin moves out of blocks, trying to duck under guys. And he was chasing down Carr. He was just always a step too late to get to. To him so you know I'm not, I'm not putting that pressure on him everybody else though just really needed to step up and get into david carr or whichever car and it didn't happen <laughs> all right so as much as we love to talk about trying to make the team better let's talk about some of the good stuff as well right after that well actually no not right after that a couple drives later is when we did get into the end zone with Le'Veon bell with a red zone touchdown reese how happy were you to see Le'Veon bell's first touchdown also kind of solidifying this this dude still has legs oh my gosh he was patient he was waiting for lanes to develop he was hitting his gaps this was vintage Le'Veon Bell we saw tonight and I think I don't know if you noticed this but I think he's starting to rub off on Clyde Edwards Alaire a little bit because Clyde wasn't just sprinting straight off the handoff the way he has been all season even he kind of stutter stepped a little bit in the backfield saw his lane and then hit so a I'm happy that Le'Veon Bell was able to punish him for that touchdown and have some good yards for the whole game and two he's starting to show Clyde Edwards Alaire the ropes a little bit yeah, it was amazing to not only see Le'Veon Bell get into the end zone and show power, but we also saw something that we haven't seen in Clyde Edwards-Alaire this game. Two touchdowns in the red zone, right? So before we have seen long touchdowns by Clyde Edwards-Alaire when he's in space and he's able to make a move. Here he was not in space, but it seemed like he not only was Bell rubbing off on him, but Josh Jacobs seemed to be rubbing off on him too because Josh is a tank and so is Clyde, right? Clyde's legs are huge. Huge, and we've been waiting to see this red zone success. And finally, we see it 14 carries, 69 yards with two touchdowns in the end zone. Reese, how happy were you to kind of see that glaring thing that we've been missing finally there? It made me very happy to see an established run game like we saw in the Bills a few weeks ago. It was just really unfortunate that the defense couldn't hold up their end of the bargain and stop them scoring because this game had ball control put or written all over it. But unfortunately, you know, we could never get that one score lead, stop them, and then get the ball back to kind of dictate the tempo after that. So we didn't abandon the running game, but we weren't able to utilize it as much as I would have wanted on a night when it seemed to be so effective. Absolutely. Good, good call. We're going to go on to the next drive now. This one had a lot of different things going on, so we're going to skip through some because we're going to address it in the middle of the podcast. But let's go to that Jason Witten touchdown. Jason Witten Duke juke that he had on Natano Passigno. Um, and I also want to give Passigno some credit there because it wasn't necessarily his fault. Like he, he actually played good coverage. And then Jason Witten from the grave does a spin around uh, to get that one yard touchdown. What do you think, Reese? We seem to be 
dropping our D lineman back into coverage all game, which, man, why? Why? You know, this is a pretty fast Raiders team. You know, Ruggs and Aguilar got some wheels on them. Waller is deceptively fast, as they kept pointing out. Again, you couldn't have asked for more on K-Pass in regards to that coverage because he did everything he could for a dude that's like 6'7", 285, but... Oh, it was that was just the story of the night. Carr had all the time in the world to wait for someone to get open, for something to develop, and when he found that short little ten yard pass, he hit it. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely, and I I, I will give Derek Carr some credit because he, yeah he was making very smart plays, except for the very last one, which we'll talk about <laughs> very soon. But other than that, he seemed to be getting the wide open guy. This game, unfortunately, could have been worse for us because there was a lot of drop passes by people. Rugs missed one. Uh, I even think Darren Waller also missed one. Like he was finding people and he was putting them in good positions and putting the ball in a great position. Um, and that just scared me because I was like, we haven't seen this Derek Carr before. Like Derek Carr's actually making plays, making smart plays. Um, but yeah, a couple bobbles that would have been caught could have changed this game completely, which is kind of sad. But also kudos to him. You're right. Like he did adjust very well. Um, now we talked about in the next play, we obviously talked about the the Travis Kelsey, uh, the Travis Kelsey touchdown. But I got a text from Reese at that. Um, so when Jason Witten made that touchdown, it was a minute 43 left. And Reese says they gave Mahomes too much time. Way too, too much, much time. time. Way too much time. There, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that Mahomes was going to walk him down the field and score a touchdown. Because as porous as our defense was all game, the Raiders were not lighting it up on defense one bit. So, you know, Pat methodically took him down the field. He was eating up chunks of yardage, chunks of yardage, chunks of yardage. They called the timeout at the right time, you know, when Daryl uh, Williams couldn't get out of bounds, which, by the way, not my favorite play call in the world. But Mahomes is cool as a cucumber, man. He's been doing that since he was a rookie, since his very first game against the Broncos with a bunch of second stringers making Albert Wilson look like the second coming of Randy Moss. So Mahomes did it right. He put the touchdown on the board, gave them under 45 seconds to make a rebuttal, and when the pressure hit Carr, it was just too much, and the airbags went off. (laughs) Uh, We're going to get right back to that, but... We just had a special guest pop into the studio right now. As what? you guys know, my name is Hot Take Mondo. We have Hot Take Mondo Sr. in the studio today. That's incredible. Without further ado, this is the week of Thanksgiving. We love to give thanks, and we also love uh, to give during this time. So Hot Take Mondo Sr., is going to give you an organization as to who you might be able to give to this year. And he might actually talk about Kansas City a little bit as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, friend of the podcast, family of the podcast, Hot Take Mondo Sr. Hey, hi, everybody. Um, good good morning, good afternoon out there. Um, I'm honored to be on this show here. Hey, full transparency. I just want to begin with this. Um, I am a an alum from USC. Uh, I'm a big fan of USC. Hey, we're we're three three and zero oh in the in the Pac-12. So I just wanted to throw that in. Um, Got to give the shout out to the Trojans. Well. Yeah, and and the, the other thing is that um, I've been to Kansas City many times, and uh, with with my with my wife Norma, 
um, to to visit and to visit our, our son, Hot Mondo uh, One. Hot Take Mondo. Hot Take Mondo One. He is pretty hot, Hot Mondo. So, yeah, it's, that's sticking. Um, hey, it's a great place. I mean, we I was introduced to the Burnt Ends, and man, there's nothing better than Burnt Ends out there. And people are very friendly, so um, my hat's off to um, Kansas City. So quickly, um, there's not a lot of time here, but I am the president and CEO of United Cerebral Palsy. We've been around for over 70 years and our affiliates in the United States and in Canada provide direct services uh, to children and adults with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, autism, developmental delays, um, other genetic uh, defects. And um, our folks are out there. They're, um, they're the fir first, um, essential workers, so they're working through COVID. But um, if anybody out there wishes to learn a little bit more about United Cerebral Palsy and the work we do, you can just go to ucp.org. That's ucp.org. So happy Thanksgiving to you guys. We, we have a lot to be thankful for, and family is really very important to us, and I'm very grateful to God for having such a, a great family. So thank you all out there in the podcast world. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to have Hot Take Mondo Senior on one day to talk about USC football and um, some great stuff because he's also a, a big football fan, Lakers fan, of course, just like me. Dude, I mean, I, th I think we shut down the podcast after that PSA right there. I think everything that can be said has <laughs> been said. <laughs> there we go. This is this is a family first pod. Even though we can get pretty hot on this podcast, make some takes. Always about the family. So thanks, Hot Take Mondo Senior, for coming on. Yeah. So, so we're bringing it back sometime. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna debate about? Is there some sort of like ancient Kansas City Kings versus Lakers rivalry from like the '60s or something? Well, I well like I said, I was I was trying to like see if my my dad rooted for the uh, the uh, Raiders because my dad's from LA and like you know Raiders culture is just like huge in LA. But he was more of a Rams fan during that time before they went to St. Louis. Yeah, you hear that? The Raiders are so bad that even like their hometowns don't want them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we can talk about the cultural influence of the Raiders, but how no one actually watched the Raiders. Just, they just had all their like memorabilia and kind of similar to right now because no one's going to want to watch them after this game. That's for sure. But going on back to that final drive, right? The magic, the majesty of Patrick Mahomes and how you can't count him out. And I will um apologize to all our fans out there i was pretty scared still guys I, I mean i knew patrick was gonna find a way but like damn not only was i scared and we're gonna go right into it then i was scared because of the penalties and i was afraid there was gonna be some bonehead like offsides or they were just gonna call an offsides that was not offsides or an offensive pass interference referees so we just talked about the frenzy of the fourth quarter of back-to-back -back, you know touchdown here touchdown there touchdown here touchdown there what we didn't touch was the craziness of, the, of that third drive of that jason Witten touchdown there were a couple boneheaded calls let's first talk about well actually why don't we talk about the chris jones because i think the chris jones offside was before the grounding yes so, yeah, sir chris jones offside referees give us your expert analysis on what the hell happened chris jones went in there made a great jump and blew up the play was he a blink offsides? 
Yeah, technically he was a blink offsides that I don't think you could call definitively until you went back and watched that replay at about two frames per second in which you saw, yes, he was like a blink offsides. So that set him up and gave him second life on that drive when really that could have blown him up and set him back. Just a few plays later, though, Derek Carr throws one of the most blatant intentional groundings I can remember in a year that is full of blatant intentional groundings. So instead of blowing up their drive and setting them back a little bit off that offsides, they eagle eye that offsides penalty, and then they can't call that intentional grounding call a few plays later. So instead of being loss of down and giving them a third and 20, it wound up being, uh, geez, what was it, third and three or third yeah. and two or something like that. And then they screwed, you know, just just as we all thought, they scored a touchdown pass the next play. That really should have set them back. That should have been a position where they had to go for a field goal, stop us, and then go for another field goal. But, geez, heavens knows if that would have played out in our favor. But <laughs> the officiating on that last Raiders touchdown drive just had me throwing everything I could inside my head. I never throw things in real life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. you're right. There was no one there when Derek Carr... Th- had the intentional grind that they didn't call and this game would have been so much different if they would have done a field goal even if they even if they would have made it, it would have been 28 27 chiefs with a minute left right so Mahomes just would have gone right down the field so it was so upsetting to see that and our defense was getting upset because then Honey Badger had a late hit call at the very end of that drive as well oh. and I was like oh shoot if Honey Badger is getting mentally you know messed up because of what's going on with with refereeing and because of what's like that worried me because if our leader is doing late hits and getting into the faces of all these Raiders guys and making us you know because I think that made us uh made the Raiders have a first and goal I believe when he did the late hit and that I was like you can't do that and when the leader of the defense is doing that not only that but then the play before Chris Jones gets into Legereus Sneed's face all that stuff just made me so worried about this defense and I'm just not sure what's going to happen going forward. Hopefully, this is the game that is the come-to-Jesus moment, right? We all sit together in kumbaya and figure it out. But when I saw Honey Badger get flustered, I've never, never seen him flustered. He's all, I mean, of course, in the beginning of, of, his, uh, of his career, he had some blunders. Since then, he's just been so professional with us, giving the heat, but appropriately. So we'll see what happens going forward. But man, what... What a weird, what a weird drive, dude. It was a super weird drive, and I was kind of with you in regards to not having all of the faith in the world. I thought it was going to come down to who had the ball last, and if Patrick Mahomes had the ball last, which for all intents and purposes he did, you know, we won. Now, if Derek Carr had like a minute 45 to get a touchdown, I think there's a good chance Derek Carr would have used all that minute 45 and gotten a touchdown because our defense has been so suspect for about a month now. And I would say last night's game was the worst our defense has looked since peak Bob Sutton in 2018. You know, we really seemed to tighten the screws and batten down the hatches in the back half of last year after the Tennessee game. We seem to do at the beginning of this year as well, but gone are the days of the bend not breaking, keeping the points limited Kansas City Chiefs. It feels like teams are just moving the ball on us at will. The Raiders, Carolina a few weeks ago, I don't care if we're only allowing 23 points per game right now. It feels like we are allowing 33 points per game. 
Right. And what sucks is like that's happening now and something like that can happen in the playoffs with a lesser team because these are lesser teams than us. This can happen with a with a Derrick Henry, right? It didn't happen to us in the playoffs last year, but who's to say that they are not going to figure it out and get Derrick Henry into the end zone every single time that the opportunity presents itself? And there's nothing this season that has proven otherwise other than the big games that we have against like the Ravens. So we'll see going forward again, something that we've we talk about almost every week, this Jackal and High defense. Speaking about Jackal and High defense, that very last play was the epitome of irony, right? We saw a very good Derek Carr the entire game, and then boneheaded, boneheaded interception to Dirty Dan, who was awful the entire game, and he's the one that gets the interception to win the game. Reese, how hilarious and how ironic was that last play? Do you think Dan Sorensen and Derek Carr are actually like fraternal twins from the same mother <laughs> that have some sort of like curse on them where, you know, never the two shall meet. So they just live in this like equilibrium of one can be on and the other has to be off. And the same goes even for like when we're not playing the Raiders. So on days when Dirty Dan is playing really well, Derek Carr is like a mediocre game. So on that final drive, it's like Derek Carr went back into like crap mode and Dirty Dan had the power. <laughs> that just like made my brain explode but yeah i mean you couldn't be more true as to what their relationship probably is but how funny was it for them to have that play together (laughs) but yeah i mean that's the Derek Carr that we wanted to see that we didn't see but a pressured see a pressured Derek Carr to make a decision like that is not going to do well right we we brought pressure he had mental pressure for the end of that game and we saw who he really is. But you give him time, right? You give him the space, he will make good plays. Speaking about that, debate question of the day. Hot take Mondo against referees. Ding, ding. (laughs) Is the Las Vegas Raiders a Super Bowl contender after that game? No, I don't think so. I think this is a better Raiders team than we all hoped they were, but... I think this Las Vegas Raiders team is much like the Clippers of this last year where they are built to do one thing, and that is beat the Chiefs. Just like the Clippers were built to do one thing, beat the Lakers. Against everybody else, they're pretty pedestrian. But if you want to talk about kind of like building your team to have a one-to-one matchup to win the division in hopes that that will get you a better playoff spot down the road, you know, I think that's what the Raiders are built to do. As far as being a Super Bowl team... I don't think they have it yet. That defense, I wouldn't say that defense is any better than our defense right now at best. They have some pretty suspect losses on here. They allowed the Patriots to drop a 36 bomb on them. The Bills beat them pretty convincingly. Tampa Bay beat them pretty convincingly. Some of their wins, not so great. So I don't think the Raiders are a Super Bowl team this year. What do you think? Ooh, it's it's tough. It really is, Reese, but my gut says... They might, they might be contenders. No, it's, it's possible. So no. Gonna, all right, okay. Just, just play. Let's just play this out real quick. The remaining games on their schedule: Falcons, Jets. I'm gonna skip one. Chargers, Dolphins, Broncos. They might be favored in all of those games. We'll see what happens with Tua. Tua got benched on Sunday, so that Dolphins team might blow up. Who knows? 
they might be favored in all five of those games. And then on the 13th of December, they're going to play the Colts. Most likely going to lose that game, but could be a good game. They might end the season going five and one. Now, not that they're going to contend for the AFC West, but they're definitely going to have a wild card spot. And who's to say they won't have a good game in the playoffs? Who's to say that those dink and dunks, that those Josh Jacob runs, right? That those couple plays that Henry Ruggs might burn one of the cornerbacks, whoever they're playing, might turn into a win for the Raiders. The thing that I like about Gruden that I unfortunately like about Gruden is that Gruden is the opposite of what is happening in the NFL, and he's proven to be successful doing it, right? He's not doing the jet sweeps. He's not doing these trick plays. He's not He's not progressing with the league. He's saying the things that have worked in the past still work. And before he wasn't backing up, like last year, Raiders suck. The year before, Raiders suck, right? So Gruden wasn't proving it. But now that he has a more solidified team and it's not the greatest defense, but still a good defense, they play hard football on offense and on defense. And that that could shock a team that is all progressive, right? Like like a Cardinals. Say, say they face the Cardinals in the playoffs, right? Someone that's trying to be innovative. But if they have like a a rugged, a muddy, a nasty Raiders team that goes in there. I don't know, man. It can go either way. I think if they had Khalil Mack on defense still, I think this defense would scare me a little bit because then they you had have, Khalil Mack. Just kidding. Come you, on, Gruden. <laughs> I know, right? Because then if you had Khalil Mack on there still, you'd have a guy with like the physical skill of Frank Clark and Chris Jones with like the field general leadership of Honey Badger, that would be a little scarier for me. But I'm going to drop some facts on you right here. Let's throw our games out the window. They have one victory over a playoff team, and that was week two against the Saints, which have been pretty hot and cold all year. They got drubbed by the Patriots. They got beaten pretty convincingly by the Bills, and they got smashed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are 6-4. and four. I think they are who their record says they are, which is a good, not great team. And as I mentioned earlier, I think they're designed to do one thing, and that is to beat us. That's why I threw those games out. They got one win against us. They got one loss against us. So I am just not sold on these Raiders yet when it comes down to brass tacks. You know, if they play the Bills again in the playoffs, I think they lose to the Bills in the playoffs. Do you think they're really going to beat the Steelers with that, like, pedestrian pass rush they have no Ben Roethlisberger is going to sit back there and pick him apart like the veteran leadership guy he is yeah, absolutely and but like if they're you're right if the if the Raiders play a Bills team if they play uh let's see who else don't we like a Titans team or if they play someone in that caliber I feel like it will be a close game but you're right if, if they have to face the Chiefs the Steelers um, I don't even know who I know we did our power rankings, but I can't even think of like who is the third best team. It's just it's such a wash from three to ten. You know what I mean? So who knows? We'll we'll see what happens there. But like you said, Patrick Mahomes cannot be beat twice. Patrick Mahomes has lost twice to only one team in his career so far, and that was the Patriots. Both losses came in uh, 2018. One of the regular season, of course, the AFC Championship. The Raiders have not been able to pull off a season sweep of the Chiefs since 2012. So a great showing by our guys. Also, it's clear that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL. He is first in receiving 
catches, he is first in yards, and he is first in touchdowns with seven touchdowns on the season. This is the best season of Kelsey's career, and that is just straight up scary to me. Absolutely, and and this is going to help going into the playoffs because you need tight ends win the game, baby. If you have a strong tight end, I mean, you really think that the that that the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl because of Garoppolo? Nope. Like Kittle was pretty good, my man. Of course, Mostert was good, but you have to have good tight ends and thank the Lord on Thanksgiving that we have Travis Kelsey. I want to drop one more question on you in regards to the Raiders' Super Bowl uh, aspirations. If you had to take the Raiders or the Cardinals in a prop bet, both being seventh seeds in their conferences right now, who do you think is more likely to win the Super Bowl? I think you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say the Cardinals. (laughs) I'd say the Cardinals, too, dude. Kyle Murray's balling. Yeah, I don't I don't think I can I mean I I love the Cardinals. They are like the like darling of the NFL right now that has replaced the Bills and replaced, you know, the the Steelers even though Steelers are 10 and 0. Like they just look so good. Like Kyler is so great and like I've said in previous podcasts, it is going to be the Mahomes Murray era for the next decade. It's not going to be Mahomes Jackson. That's over. It's Mahomes Murray. I I hope for a Super Bowl, probably not this year, but maybe next year it could be a Mahomes Murray Super Bowl. We'll see. All right, so going into the next game, and we'll talk about the Bucks briefly, but before that, there's some big question marks from this last game, Reese. During the game, I texted you maybe three or four times, where were the following players? A, Juan Thornhill, B, McCole Hardman, and then three kind of less of a surprise, but still a surprise, Legarius Sneed because Legarius was playing on special teams it wasn't like he was gone all three of these guys saw action they didn't sit the game but they weren't getting play so let's break them down each one let's go to Juan Thornhill first we heard um, yesterday that Andy Reid says that going forward right now Juan Thornhill is a situational player what That worries me a little bit. I want to believe it's just because he's coming back from that ACL injury late last year. And speaking of someone that's had to have my knee reconstructed before, you know, mine has never been back to 100%. Now, you know, he's got access to 24-hour around-the-clock sports medicine and rehab, so I'm sure, you know, this is a little bit of comparing apples and oranges. But same thing, when you're playing against world-class athletes and you got a knee that might still be a little tricky on you, you know, maybe he's not back up to game speed. I don't think he was making a lot of mistakes early on. I thought it took him a little bit you know, longer to kind of get back into that third gear, fourth gear he was clicking at by the end of last year. But I don't know why he's a situational guy right now. We really could have used his athleticism and ball-hawking abilities last night. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of very big plays during that game, right? The Waller getting passes in the middle of the field and then having a wide open space in the middle of the field, I feel like Juan Thornhill would have easily been able to close space or be around because Honey Badger was either kind of close by or he was worried about Henry Ruggs or someone else in the slot. So if you have a Juan Thornhill, some of those dirty Dan mistakes are then mitigated with Juan Thornhill being closer to the middle of the field. So we'll see what happens going forward because if we have Juan Thornhill and maybe they're saying let's sit him or let's let's keep it cautious before the playoffs because we know in the playoffs we are definitely going to need a Juan Thornhill. So if that's the case, I hope so. But I hope there's not more there that Andy's not telling us 
or Spags isn't telling us because that would really suck. So um, shout out to Juan Thornhill. We're really thinking of you, and I hope I hope it gets better because, man, do, do, do we need you, man. Another person that we needed yesterday, Mr. McCole Hardman. Where were you? We saw Mr. Robinson a little too much yesterday. <laughs> oh, sorry. You you hit my, my trigger puke word. Carry on. Well, Reese, what did what did you see in that game that McColl wouldn't have done? <laughs> McColl wouldn't have caught the ball, run five yards back, and then gotten a 15-yard penalty for a face mask on there. They never call offensive face mask. You know, and every time that Robinson had the ball, it felt like he was going to fumble it. You know, he would do things. He'd jump and get slammed. I'm like... A wide receiver wouldn't do that in this position. He was he blew that route at the end of the first half. That really was our opportunity to take control of the game and kind of put that thing into cruise control. Pat threw a second interception on the year. That was 110% Robinson's fault. He zigged when he should have zagged. That guy fell over, and he was still so open on that pass. He had a time to like pop up and pick that thing off. I was... I was over Robinson last night, although I know you had different feelings on him throughout the game. Yeah. Well, okay. So in the beginning of the game, we saw Demarcus Robinson get some good plays. And I've liked him in the past where he has he has been able to catch the ball and make good plays. Like he's just one hot streak away into getting a touchdown to me. As the game progressed, it seemed like there were more plays that were being called for him. Demarcus Robinson had six catches for 44 yards. McCole Hartman had one catch. One catch for 16 yards. It was a pretty big like, catch at the end of the game, though. You got to admit. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Which is why I want McColl. Like, why was he not being game scripted? I wonder if it's because he was on the COVID reserve list and he couldn't play um, and have practice and maybe Andy needed some scripted plays. It's just like, I don't like to see Demarcus Robinson having six catches when you have McColl Hartman, when you have CEH. Now, obviously, Kelsey and Hill were targeted a lot and had fantastic games. But when your third receiver is Demarcus Robinson and he's not doing very well, when you have McCole Hartman, right, he didn't sit the game. It was just like he he wasn't being game scripted. And that worries me, right? Because does that mean Demarcus Robinson is going to be game scripted more? Like, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It just it bothers me. Well, I can't speak into next year when we probably lose Sammy Watkins for the final time. But for now, it's like I'm not sure why the pecking order at wide receiver, wide receiver, mind you, not counting Kelsey, isn't Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, and then Byron Pringle at number four. I think it's, it, we've seen enough now that I think Pringle should be getting some of these, you know, looks and scripted plays that Robinson's been getting. Pringle has better hands. I think he's got more of an explosive upside. Robinson has this like knack to always do the wrong thing. It's like he's thinking too much. It's like, dude, just dive forward for an extra two yards. Don't try and juke a guy and then get seven yards. Just take the two. <laughs> so. You know, I'd, I'd like to see Hardman getting some more touches in general. I know he's a different size receiver than someone like Robinson. You know, I think he's, what, 6'1", 205 around there, and Hardman's closer to 5'10". But I think the upside and the route running and the explosiveness with Hardman has to be a better trade-off than what we're getting out of Robinson right now. Absolutely. So hopefully going forward, it was just a COVID reserve restriction for him and that he didn't have a lot of practice time that week. But man, if next week we see Demarcus Robinson be the third tier guy, I think we're going to have a problem here on Found City Sports Media. All right, going forward, we also have a third guy that we're worried about, Legereus Need. So it looked like he was 
he was out for the game because we didn't see him. And then all of a sudden, I see him on special teams make a play. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. He's playing in the game, but he's only playing special teams. And then we saw him in the fourth quarter also make some plays, some not so much plays as he may have been in a fight with Chris Jones. But why the weird game script for Legereus Need? Especially when we need him and everyone knows that we need him. I don't know why at this point, unless, again, he's coming off, what was it, a, a broken clavicle or something like yeah. that? So maybe he's still a little bit tender right now, and he's a rookie. He's going to make some rookie mistakes, but so far in what he's played, his upside far outweighs you know, his floor at this point in time. And if it means he's going to be in there disrupting plays and being in position more than the other cornerbacks we have, I'll take that in exchange for one or two blown plays throughout the game. That's just That's just my opinion, though. What do you think? No, I, I, I definitely I definitely agree with you because a common theme that we have said on this podcast as well is that the Chiefs defense needs athleticism and Legereus Need fills that role of athleticism. Juan Thornhill fills that role of athleticism. Willie Gay, who we saw great, he fills that role as well. These guys need to have more of a prominent role for us to be a consistent defense because right now we are a jackal and high defense as we've been saying you put those three guys in you bring their athleticism even though they might blow a play here and there i'd rather him blow a play than charvarius ward blow a play well, and, you know, you've been saying we're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde defense, which is absolutely true. And part of that seems to be that whether it's Andy or Spags, they have like situational packages of players per games. You know, one game, Willie Gay is going to get a majority of the snaps. The next game, Neiman's getting all of his snaps, which that one for me yeah, just completely boggles weird. my mind. And it's the same thing at safety. You know, it's like some games, Juan Thornhill's getting more snaps. Other games, Dan Sorensen comes in and plays more of that free safety role. And it's like, again, Stick to something consistent, you know, and obviously the same thing sticks for our cornerbacks. You know, it's like some games Ward is kind of the quarterback or cornerback one guard and the best receiver and other games is Breland. Some games is Fenton. I just don't get why they're being so rotational with the defense, whether it's trying to figure out something that sticks. I just choose one and make it stick. Yeah, absolutely. That That's a very good point. We are going to keep an eye here on Fountain City Sports Media to see what happens with this defense. Maybe we start to see some solidified rotations going forward in the back end of the season that then kind of gives us a clue as to what's going to happen in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Keeping an eye on that, let's keep an eye on the next week. Next week, we face the Tampa Bay Bucks. They lost a nail-biter 27-24 to the Rams um, on Monday. Reese, what's your prediction for Tom Brady? What Tom Brady do you think we're going to see? I think the Tom Brady we see is going to depend on what Kansas City Chiefs team we see. As we've seen in the past, Spagnuolo has a pretty good job of having Brady figured out and kind of making him uncomfortable. And I think what it mostly boils down to is pass rush. You look at Tampa Bay's losses here. Twice the Saints, the Bears, the Rams. What do they all have in common? Great pass rush. And especially in that Bears game, you saw Brady getting frustrated. He is 43. He is old. I don't care how much avocado asparagus pudding he's eating. (laughs) Getting sacked at 43 hurts like a son of a gun, don't it? So if you saw the game-clinching interception 
the other night against the Rams. What happened there was the pressure was closing in on him. He had more time to throw than he had kind of assumed he did and threw an errant pass. If we can force him to do that, the arm strength isn't there. The decision making isn't quite what he used to be. And the guy's afraid of getting hit. I would bring pressure all game and dare that offense to beat us. Oh, I totally agree. Bring the blitz package. Make him try to dink and dunk because he won't have time if he does a blitz package or if we do a blitz package to pass it to AB, to Mike Evans, to Chris Godwin down the field. He's going to have to dink and dunk beat us and they're going to have to solidify that running game as well, whether it's Ronald Jones, whether it's um, Leonard Fournette. That's going to be a tough game for the Bucks, and I think they lose two in a row, one to the Rams, one to the Chiefs. They don't look good going into the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not as afraid of this Bucks defense as everybody else seems to be. The Saints have dropped a 38 and 23 bomb on them this year. The Raiders managed to get 20 points. The Giants, 23. The only offense they've really managed to stymie so far is the Packers, which we already know is kind of hot and cold. So I don't expect this to be an easy game for us. I think Tom Brady's going to have want to have a lot to prove, which will either be to their benefit or it'll be their undoing. What score do you have for us, Reese? I'm going to predict the Chiefs take this one 27 to 25. I'm not sure how you score 25 points, but that's my prediction. (laughs) I'm going to go 35 to 23. Chiefs. I like that one as well, for being honest. What are you doing for Thanksgiving, Reese? Uh, Thanksgiving, I'm going to kick it with the in-laws. I'm going to crack some of my reserve beers and hopefully enjoy that big Steelers-Ravens game uh, Thanksgiving night, which is probably the best chance we have of sneaking into that one seed if the Ravens can pull this off. What about you? What are you doing? I'm also going to be watching that Steelers-Ravens game. I think the Ravens can... They, they, they've already played them once. I, th- I think John Harbaugh can can do some good game script. I'm over here in Arizona. Um, we uh, we did some safe travel as best we could. Like I've said, I've had COVID before and my parents actually had it too. So we're in a company of people that possibly still have the uh, antibodies. Uh, but yeah, we're being very safe here, but happy to see the family. It's been great. Uh, one little shout out I want to do before we end this podcast, if I may, uh, as a Black Friday gift to you all, we do have an interview coming with Carlton Graham, the head brewer of KC Beer Co. You know, he's, he's the lord of the lager, as you'll hear us say, and he just has a lot of great information to tell you about the authentic German style beers being brewed at KC Beer Co. And also some stories about vigilante justice in beer gardens. So it's definitely <laughs> worth listening to. There are some great Easter eggs in there. I will say that. Yeah, and for the friends of the podcast subscribing to our Patreon page, uh, check back on Saturday, I believe, and we will have a beer review with Carlton Graham so you can have the breakdown of what to expect when drinking a delicious Kansas City Beer Co. beer. Lord of the Lager reviews the Lord of the Lager. Just wait, baby. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. Find us on Instagram at Fountain City SM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 